Jeff's Midweek Bible Study, a verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible with Pastor Jeff Lassane. We hope this podcast encourages your faith, and now, here's Pastor Jeff. Hello to everyone, and welcome to the podcast. If I were to mention the name Harry Truman, many would think back probably to our 33rd United States President, Harry S. Truman. But in more recent history, there was another Harry Truman, not President Harry S. Truman, but rather Harry R. Truman. So who was he? Well, he was arguably the most famous resident around Mount St. Helens back in 1980. In addition to being a bootlegger and a prospector, he owned and operated the Mount St. Helens Lodge near the base of the mountain. In the weeks leading up to the volcanic eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980, people in and around the area were told to evacuate, but old Harry refused. He didn't think the mountain would erupt, and he even told reporters, even if the mountain does go up, I'm going with it. He quickly became a folk hero for his supposed courage in the face of impending disaster. Oregon school children sent him letters of support to go along with all of his other fan mail, which included several marriage proposals. On the day before Mount St. Helen erupted, a final attempt was made by local authorities to get Harry to leave, but he stubbornly refused. The next morning, May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. It was estimated that Harry Truman was evaporated in less than one second. He's still regarded as a folk hero by some, but as a fool by others. Coming now to chapter 18 in our series through Revelation, we're going to read about the destruction of the final world empire known as Babylon. In chapter 17, we read about the destruction of the one world religious system, the Scarlet Harlot or the religious Babylon. And here now in chapter 18, we come to the fate of commercial and economic Babylon. The key verse to this entire chapter, in my opinion, is in verse 4, where John says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And so while this chapter is an explanation for us as church believers today as to what will happen to the world empire of the Antichrist in the future, just before Jesus Christ returns, It's also an urgent plea to those future tribulation saints to get away from commercial Babylon because it's about to blow up. A very similar warning to that story about Harry Truman and Mount St. Helens. Therefore, I'm titling this message, Get Out. So let's read some verses together. We're going to go ahead and just pick up in verse 1. John says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Chapter 18 opens up with the words after these things, referring to what had just taken place in chapter 17, the destruction of religious Babylon. Here now we read about the same type of judgment for commercial, economic, and political Babylon. And let's keep in mind that when the Bible was written, it didn't have the modern chapter breaks or numbered verses that we enjoy today. So Revelation 17 and 18 are a continuous description of Babylon's demise, both religious and commercial. Ironically, we often hear about the need for the separation of church and state in our culture today. But interestingly, the last day's world leader, the Antichrist, will unite the two together. There will be a one-world religion and a one-world government, and all of it will work under the global leadership of the Antichrist. That is, until God intervenes and destroys it all. We also read here of a great angel coming down from heaven with great authority, with great brilliance, and with a great voice. And this has tempted some people to identify this angel as Jesus, but that simply does not fit the text. It's another angel, which means another of the same kind, and Jesus, of course, is not an angel. He created the angels, and he himself is God. Along with that, Jesus will return to the earth soon after this at his second coming. So this is precisely what the text says, a mighty angel, and it may very well be an archangel. The message of this angel is the announcement that Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. In Revelation, one out of every ten verses concerns Babylon, and all of chapter 17 and 18 has to do with Babylon. Remember, Babylon refers to both a city and a system. The city will be the headquarters of the Antichrist, perhaps an established city like Rome or else the rebuilt city of Babylon. You know, it's worth noting that the Euphrates River is mentioned more than once in Revelation, and that ancient city of Babylon straddled the Euphrates River. And as I shared in our last study, after Jerusalem, Babylon is the second most mentioned city in the Bible with almost 300 references. But Babylon ultimately refers to a system, that demonic world system that has been part of world history since the beginning. This satanic world system has been the source and influence of every world empire in history. Now it's all going to finally collapse. In fact, the double reference here, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, undoubtedly highlights the magnitude of this announcement. By way of brief 
reminder, it was a man named Nimrod who built the city of Babylon after the flood in the book of Genesis. You know, the meaning of Nimrod's name is not absolutely certain, but it apparently means let us rebel. And if so, he lived up to his name because that's exactly what Nimrod did, rebel against God's authority and rule. He and the people even tried to build a tower that would reach up to heaven. So even back then, Babylon was a literal city as well as a rebellious system that was anti-God. Later on, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed the city and the temple of Jerusalem. And so then it's no surprise to us that the soon coming Antichrist will fully embody the system of Babylon in the tribulation period. But the great news here in Revelation 18 is that God is going to destroy all of it and it will never rise again. It's also worth noting that two Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, predicted the sudden and complete destruction of Babylon. Well, that really has never taken place. And in history, Babylon just slowly faded away, but it was never destroyed. So those prophetic predictions were pointing to what we're reading about here in the future and in Revelation. Here in the days just before Jesus returns, Babylon will be the commercial and economic system for the entire world. Uh, We could say Wall Street and the global stock market will come out of Babylon, but when God judges her, it will make the Great Depression look like a garden party by comparison. In the second half of verse 2, the angel describes demolished Babylon as being a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul and unclean bird. Interestingly, millions of demons had come up out of the abyss back in chapter 9. Here now, they will be imprisoned in the ash and ruins of Babylon. This will become something like an above-ground abyss where the worst and most vile demons will be contained. In the metaphor here of them being like filthy birds, they will be confined and caged up in those ruins of Babylon. Then verse 3 uses a similar description that we read in the previous chapter about the kings, leaders, and nations having committed fornication with commercial Babylon just as they did with religious Babylon. All that means is that they were all in bed together for the same demonic purpose. Along with that, the merchants of the world have become rich through the commercial system of Babylon. You know, it's always about the money, isn't it? I mean, whether it's abortion, pornography, COVID-19, election fraud, human trafficking, street drugs, political power plays, it's all about somebody getting rich. Remember Peter's response to Simon the sorcerer back in Acts 8? He wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money. And Peter said to him, your money perish with you. And you know, the literal translation of Peter's words to Simon the sorcerer were, to hell with you and your money. And that's what God essentially says here to commercial Babylon, to hell with you and your money. Then in verse 4 is God's urgent call to those who have come to him by faith in the tribulation, come out of her, my people, or as our message title says, get out. God is calling for his tribulation saints to get away from Babylon as God destroys it. With that description, it's a call to get away from the city of Antichrist. God will destroy the capital city and the headquarters of the Antichrist, which will in turn collapse the entire world system. 
It reminds us of when Lot was told by God to get him and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before God's judgment fell back in Genesis 19. Did you know that God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is one of the most repeated illustrations of judgment in Scripture? After you read the details of Sodom and Gomorrah's judgment in Genesis 19, you'll find at least two dozen references to it in the rest of Scripture, six of those by Jesus himself in the Gospels. But listen, please, because there's also urgent application for us as well. As believers today, we're also told to get away from this world system. Now, you might be wondering, well, where's that at in the Bible? Well, one strong example is in John's first epistle. Remember John's words and warning in 1 John 2? Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And listen, this world is passing away, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. The Greek word used there for world by John in his epistle is cosmos, from which we get our English word cosmopolitan, and it refers to the world system. We're living in Satan's world system right now. You know, one well-respected pastor just recently posted an article on social media with a caption that read, Amazon Prime Video goes full antichrist. And as I looked at it, I, I said, he's right. Amazon has put out a cartoon. This is Amazon Prime Video now. So on the, on the television channel that you can kind of get through Amazon Prime. They have put out a cartoon titled Has Been Hotel, H-A-Z-B-I-N. Let me just share. I just peeked at the first two minutes, and that'll tell you all that you want to know. It's a series, but it tells the story of Lucifer as one of the angels in heaven. And heaven, in the first two minutes, is described as a place of pure light ruled by angel leaders who worship good. Not God, but good. In fact, God's name never enters the conversation. Lucifer, then, is one of those angels, described simply as a dreamer with wonderful ideas for creation, but who is misunderstood and falsely labeled a troublemaker by the elders in heaven. Then comes the creation of the first two people, Adam and Lilith, who were co-equals. Not Eve, but Lilith. Adam tries to forcibly rule over poor Lilith, who was fiercely independent. Refusing to be ruled over by Adam, she fled the garden. So Lucifer went to her, and as the narrator says, the two rebellious dreamers fell deeply in love. Oh my gosh, what a crazy story this is. But the elders of heaven unfairly cast them down to hell. In the meantime, Eve becomes Adam's second wife, and so the population of hell grows, and the elders occasionally, periodically send down an army to kill and keep down the population. But Lilith's dream was passed down to her daughter, the princess of hell, and on the story goes. I wish I could tell you that I'm just kidding and that I just made all this up, but this is a hot new series on Amazon Prime. And again, that's just the first two minutes of the first episode. It's labeled as an adult cartoon, but I promise you that as I was just looking at those first two minutes, it has a real childlike appeal to it with the music and the graphics and 
So it's a very dangerous window for children. And this isn't just some creepy little satanic bookstore out on the wrong sides of the tracks of town. This is Amazon Prime Video, which is in roughly 80 million homes just in the United States. As I've shared before, Satan stopped hiding a long time ago, and the world still doesn't see him. And so Paul writes in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world. Every believer needs to guard themselves against the demonic influence of our world system. Now, some might be thinking to themselves, well, I'm a committed believer. I don't need to worry about all that. Well, remember a man in the New Testament named Demas? At one point, he's referred to as a co-laborer or fellow laborer with Paul. At one time then, Demas was following the Lord and serving alongside of Paul. But then the day came when he deserted Christ. What happened? Well, Paul records these words in 2 Timothy, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas fell in love with the world, and as a result, he turned his back on Christ. Throughout history, Satan has used his anti-God demonic influence to seduce and deceive the people of the world, and it's only growing stronger as we get closer to Christ's return. And so for us as believers, the bottom line is that we live in the world, but the world must not live in us. Or as Augustine put it, let the world pass, lest you pass with the world. And so God tells his saints in the first part of the tribulation to come out of her and get away from her. On the one hand, the believers have not taken the mark of the beast, and so they can't buy or sell or do business. So their warning that they're receiving is just get away and don't get swept up in God's judgment. But notice, on the other hand, the warning is also saying, don't share in her sins. We don't know exactly what that means, but there may be some temptation for compromise and for the tribulation believers to somehow attempt to work in or around the system. Whatever it is, God's warning is clear, just as it was to Lot, get out and get away. Part of this urgent warning for believers to separate themselves from the world system here in verse 5 comes from the fact that her sins have reached up to heaven. It's a reminder that God sees everything, and here we read that God has remembered her iniquities. You know, the good news for believers who place their faith in God through Christ is that God casts away our sins and he remembers them no more. The bad news for the unsaved is that God remembers every sin and there will be a reckoning. In verses 6 and 7, we find the angel calling out to God for divine vengeance and vindication. And on the surface of this, the angel seems to be saying, give her a double punishment for her sins. But listen, please, in God's justice, the unsaved will receive exactly what they deserve, a just punishment. God will not give the unsaved a so-called double punishment for their sins. Otherwise, God would make himself to be unjust. Instead, this means that Babylon has literally doubled up on her sins, and so God will double up on his punishment. And so in that sense, she will receive exactly what she deserves. So I think the better translation would be, give her a double portion of punishment for her double portion of sins. Remember, the angels in heaven know the character of God quite well, so this angel would not be asking God to do something that was not within his holy character. 
And this is borne out in verse seven, where the same angel goes on to say, in the measure she has glorified herself and lived in luxury, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. And because Babylon boasts, I am no widow and will not see sorrow, God will punish her with that very fate as her plagues will come in one day, plagues of death, mourning, and famine. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, which God destroyed in a single day, so will last day's Babylon be destroyed. In verse 8, we read that she will be utterly burned with fire, and that phrase literally means burned to the ground and utterly consumed. You know, back when the New York City Twin Towers were destroyed in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, some Christians or people were using these verses here to claim that they were describing how God was judging America with the Twin Towers. But you know, that's a bad misuse of Scripture. This is clearly referring to the future one-world government of the Antichrist in the Tribulation period. We're not told the nature of this judgment fire other than it is the Lord who judges her, Babylon. It might be similar to how God rained down fire and brimstone on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a definite parallel or correlation there. And like Mount St. Helens, after many warnings, the eruption will be sudden and devastating. Well, that takes us now to verse 9, and let's uh, continue our reading there. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine types of clothing, every expensive kind of wood, ivory, bronze, iron, and marble, various spices, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches have come to nothing." Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Then we read, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. In this section, we see how the destruction of Babylon will affect all of the unsaved merchants of the earth in one way or another. In verse 9, it's the kings, which represents, I think, political power and political corruption. In verse 11, it's the merchants who represent the business system. And then in verse 17, it's the shipmasters, which represent the commercial system. In verses 9 and 10, the kings and the rulers are mourning over the political empire of Antichrist that it has fallen. 
the political Babylonian system will give its leaders great power and wealth, just as it does oftentimes today. Very sad to say that many unsafe people today place their hope in politics or politicians or political ideas. And in the tribulation, the entire unsaved world will trust in and follow the Antichrist and his political system, which will then go up in smoke. In verse 11, the merchants are weeping and mourning over their financial losses. The entire system is disintegrating before their very eyes, and all they can think about is their profit losses. Yeah, I hate it when all that fire and brimstone comes falling down from the sky. It really cuts down on car sales. <laughs> In the verses that follow, over two dozen commodities are listed there, and we're not going to take the time to comment on each one. They're fairly self-explanatory, but notice that this list includes bodies and souls of men or people at the end of verse 13. We're grateful to courageous people like actor Jim Caviezel for producing and starring in the movie Sound of Freedom, which came out last year. I hope you saw it. And it was the 10th highest grossing film of 2023. It brought much needed attention to the crisis of human sex trafficking, which continues to be a global crisis. And don't think for a moment that doesn't include the U.S. because it does. In fact, some of those children ended up on Epstein Island. As of 2021, the global number of trafficking victims was over 50 million, and obviously we understand that those actual numbers are always going to be higher. Sadly, this crisis will continue and grow even worse in the tribulation period. Moving to verse 17, we find that the, the shipmasters, like the merchants, are weeping and wailing over the destruction of Babylon. We're reminded of that foolish rich man, remember him in Luke 12, who was consumed with building bigger barns as storehouses for his um, riches, all his grain and all of that. And just when he thought he had reached the pinnacle of his financial dreams, said to himself, you know, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Everything is all in order. The Lord said to him, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you and who will get those riches of yours? We also think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 18 when he asked, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? The emphasis here in verse 17 is how this will all happen in one hour or a very brief period of time. And all of that wealth and prosperity will go up in a single day as noted back in verse 8. But in contrast to all of this sorrow from the unsaved, verse 20 gives us the response of heaven saying, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged her on you. It's oftentimes true that what makes the world rejoice makes heaven mourn, and what makes the world mourn makes heaven rejoice. Oftentimes as believers, we're confronted by non-believers who take issue with God's judgment whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And I've seen some Christians kind of step back in discomfort, almost embarrassment, not knowing how to respond. But let me just say this. Don't ever apologize to anyone for God's judgment. God is holy and righteous, and so are his judgments. Heaven and God's people here are encouraged to rejoice in the fact that God will punish and judge rebellion and wickedness. And now, we don't want to get the wrong idea here and think that heaven rejoices over the death and destruction of unsaved people. No, quite the opposite is true. And as one pastor put it, heaven rejoices not over the damnation of sinners, 
but because of the triumph of righteousness, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, and the arrival of his kingdom on the earth. Notice in particular that God's prophets and apostles will rejoice since they were routinely persecuted and killed for their faithfulness to God and to God's message. Well, that brings us here towards the end. Let's wrap up our reading in verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone. He threw it into the ocean and shouted, Just like this, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps, singers, flutes, and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsmen and no trades will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard again. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. In verse 21, God presents a picture of Babylon's sudden destruction when one of the holy angels casts a large millstone into the sea. It will be with that same type of suddenness and decisiveness that Babylon will disappear in a single day. <clears throat> in verses 22 and 23, we read about the end of many familiar activities. And the point of these verses is, is to say that any semblance to a so-called normal life will come to an end. Notice that some six times in these verses, we find the word anymore, at least in the New King James translation, as in none of these activities will take place anymore. No more music, no more craftsmen working, no more millstone means no one preparing any food, no more wedding ceremonies. Now, if you're wondering why John would specifically mention no more weddings here, we might want to think back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 concerning the last days when Christ said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So as it was in the first global judgment in Genesis, so shall it also be with the second global judgment in Revelation. The unsaved world will reject God and will even reject the thought of any impending punishment as they will be preoccupied with the everyday daily events of life when judgment suddenly falls. And notice how verse 24 almost reads like the results of an autopsy report that's been performed on Babylon's dead system. This autopsy on Babylon reveals that it was filled with the blood of the prophets and the saints. A big takeaway for us as believers standing at the doorstep of these future events is to get away and stay away from this world system. Yes, we're living in the world, but we're not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. In order to follow Jesus, we have to unfollow the world. In some of the final words of Peter in his second and last epistle, he wrote, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved or burned up, what manner of persons ought we as believers to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the coming of the day of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>